Welcome to LilyPod episode 19, The Power of Letting Go. Jeff and Kathy Teichert bringing you another episode of LilyPod, which is a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. This is the fourth in our series of five relationship development topics, and today we're talking about the power of letting go. Yes, thank you, Kathy. And I want to point out that the answer to virtually every problem you face in life is love, work, or letting go. And if you think about it, think about any problem you have right now in your life, it amounts to loving more if you're being selfish or if you're feeling bitter or whatever, or it's work, working harder and uh, achieving something you need to do or letting go. Sometimes when things are beyond our control, we have to figure out how to let go of it so that we can move on in our lives. Letting go is often the most difficult. And in a technical sense, it's not difficult. I mean, picture a helium balloon you're holding on to or a bowling ball. One wants to go up, the other wants to go down. You simply release your grip and the bowling ball falls and or the helium balloon rises and let gravity take its course. But we hold on because the balloon or the bowling ball is serving us in some way. So what kind of things do we hold on to even though they're creating pain, Kathy? Well, bitterness over a pers- another person's betrayal of us. Right. And many of us in the mid-singles community who have suffered through divorces or whatever kinds of relationship issues where the we were hoping for a marriage and felt let down by someone else. Those can be very painful. Uh, sadness over the loss of a relationship or a dream. If we, you know, even if we were the betrayer or we did something, uh, made a huge mistake that cost us a relationship, the sadness over that loss can be intense. Uh, whether we feel guilty about it or not. Also disempowering beliefs that blame others for our pain. And when we blame others, we are disempowered. Right. Because if it's somebody else's fault, that means somebody else can just do it to you and you're a victim of circumstance. There's nothing you can do about it. Another would be bitterness over other people's choices that affect our loved ones. And I was just talking yesterday with someone who's, who was very worried and overwrought about the choices of that person's former spouse uh, and the example that was setting to the kids. At the end of the day, there's nothing that person can do about it, but it's, you know, that person has been thinking about it in a way that is causing pain. We also sometimes want to keep another person in our debt and stay in a one-up position. 
we might use that to manipulate a former spouse. You know, if I can continue on and on to blame the other person, to hold that grudge, to show how much it hurts me, you know, it gives me a certain amount of power. I can always be the better person then. Well, and not just a former spouse, but that can happen in marriages too. Right. You know, somebody had an affair 20 years ago and their life is a living hell ever since because they, the spouse continues to use that to remain uh, in the one-up position. And it's not fair to themselves or to their spouse. So, uh, but it's a very tempting thing to do if we've felt very hurt by something. Definitely. Uh, another is bitterness towards God for failing to spare us from tragic loss or painful experience. Right. Have you ever found yourself? I mean, I know, Kathy, you had experience with that when you were ill, um, sometimes feeling bitterness toward God for it. Well, especially because the illness with as long as it was and, and how much it affected my mind and my emotions, uh, I felt abandoned by the spirit. It was really hard to, to function in a, a spiritual capacity, even though I had um, previously been very uh, faithful in my spiritual practices and I felt very inspired for a time it my life went very dark yeah and I think you know why would God allow that to go on I mean we we don't know for sure and sometimes I think it takes a long uh, a long time and distance from a trial we go through to look back and and see the purpose but what? I think we can understand that nothing God does uh, would not be an act of love but in the middle of it, that's very hard to see sometimes. Well, and one thing that I was reminded of during this really painful, spiritually dark place I was in uh, is that when Christ was on the cross, he he was abandoned by the Spirit too. And right. I think there's a couple of reasons that happened. One, um, he needed to know what that was like for us when we lose the Spirit for whatever reason. And two, I was thinking that with physical pain, sometimes that that happens, and that's why he healed people before he before he administered to them spiritually, because they needed to have a body that could could uh, receive that spiritual uh, enlightenment. Right. Yeah, that's very true, and and I think. In the middle of it, maybe there is a something we have to learn about peace and serenity, even amid trial, which is very hard and unnatural for us in some ways. But having said that, um, we can often hold on to that bitterness toward God, even after the crisis has passed in some ways. And, and I've seen this with people who have lost a child to death. And both Kathy and I have lost siblings uh, to death at a very young age. And, and uh, there could be a, a temptation in those circumstances to continue to hold that against God uh, and feel like it was unjust or unfair that other people deserve death a lot more. And I remember thinking sometimes my little brother kept the word of wisdom about as well as, as anybody his age does. 
and yet he died of cancer. And why do kids that are drinking and doing drugs and other stuff like that get to live while my brother lost his life? Well, of course, I didn't have the big picture that God had. Well, and you know, as far as bitterness towards God goes, uh, he is, I think, a lot more accepting than other people would be of that bitterness. I mean, I honestly think it's fine to uh, talk to him in prayer about how bitter we feel towards him. And he can take it. He's fine. He understands what we're dealing with. And um, I, I don't think he... I know he doesn't love us any less, and I don't think he even thinks less of us for feeling that way. Yeah, I've I've prayed a few angry prayers in my life, and <laughs> and sometimes I've received comfort in that very moment, and other times I haven't. But but I I can certainly relate to that, and I think we could ask why someone would hold on to such feelings or the thoughts surrounding them if they're causing us pain. And one is I think our minds or brains have a need to make order and sense out of things. And so trying to, to come up with a story to explain what happened, even if it's painful, uh, our minds, our, our brains naturally want to do that. A, a second one is not to feel shame because, and if you look at divorce stories in our culture as Latter-day Saints, there's a lot of shame still associated with divorce, regardless of what part of it you're on. But if you can make yourself the good guy and the other person the bad guy, you feel less shame. And then the third one related to that is avoiding other people's disapproval. And so if I can tell a story and get sympathy from my friends about how I was not in the wrong, my spouse was, or or you know, depending on whatever the situation was, it was the other person, I didn't cause it, then, uh, you know, maybe we feel like that serves us in that way. So our minds concoct stories that keep us in pain. So we can blame someone else, so we can avoid feeling shame. And even if the other person did something we regard as betrayal, we tend to internalize that. And sometimes we'll even feel shame about not being good enough or attractive enough for our partner. And our stories might allow us to suppress that shame, but they also keep us in pain. And Kathy, what's been your experience with this in the mid-singles community about people holding on to, to such feelings or thoughts that surround those feelings? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, we carry it in our energy and we we carry it into the date, whatever it is that we're holding on to. And it's quite obvious to the other person with the way we talk about our life, with the way we talk about our experience, that we're still holding on to something. And, you know, I was just thinking when you were talking about the reasons why maybe we hold on to things that maybe one of the best ways to allow ourselves to let go is to fully accept what happened and not feel shame about it. Because if we're mm. trying to avoid feeling shame, if we can accept and not feel shame, it makes it easier to let it all go. Right. And I, I think one way to look at that is I, I can look back now and see 
my own role in my failed first marriage. And, and I, I don't say failed because there was no good that came out of it. I got two great kids and I have lots of insight about how relationships work that I was really blind to before. Uh, but I look back and I, I love the words of Maya Angelou where she said, you know, that do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. And I know better now and I do better. And so, you know, I'm still learning 10 years from now. I hope I can still say the same. Um, and I hope I'll still have my lovely wife around. But anyway, um, I, I think that's one way to think about uh, the shame that we sometimes feel is why do we need to feel shame? Because we violated principles that we didn't even know were things were real. Uh, and so that's, that's a, a way to think about it is, hey, I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. And that isn't to excuse our mistakes. We still have to repent sometimes. But it's to say there's not necessarily shame in the fact that we aren't perfect right now. Or that our lives took a different turn than we expected. Right. Something very fundamental to letting go involves forgiveness. And uh, that isn't the only kind of letting go, but it certainly is one. Um, Doctrine and Covenants section 64 says, Wherefore I say unto you that ye ought to forgive one another. And, and then in the next verse it says, I the Lord will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. So I pose the question, why are we required to forgive all men if some are completely unrepentant? Why do we need to forgive someone who isn't sorry, who is maybe even glad that they did what they did? Kathy, what's your answer to that? Oh, thank you for asking, because I do have an answer for that. And that answer is forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves. Mm. It's something that benefits us and our hearts to to stay open and to stay soft instead of being coming hard and building walls around us. Right. Um, and, and you know, also in that scripture, I think it's interesting on the key point that Kathy just made. It says, we are told that a person who refuses to forgive, quote, there remaineth in him the greater sin. And so I ask, how is the sin in him. Now, I would think, you know, you might say on him remaineth the greater sin or that he possesses the greater sin, but it actually says the sin is in him. Now, in the same chapter or in the same section, 64 verse 8, it says, my disciples in days of old sought occasion against one another and forgave not one another in their hearts. And for this evil, they were afflicted and sorely chastened. So it's in us because we are holding that grudge, that pain, whatever it is, we are holding it in our hearts. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. 
And, and I submit to you that anger is corrosive to our spirits and to our hearts, as Kathy was just saying. Well, and, you know, this all ties back to what I said about when we're dating and we go to meet someone, uh, we're carrying the energy of whatever is in our hearts and our minds. And it, it, it's not something we can hide from. It comes out. Right. Have you ever had a first or second date with someone? Usually, often this happens on the first date and we discourage it. But, but where somebody uh, starts confessing the sins of their former spouse and the other one chimes in with their experience. And at the moment, it can feel really good. Maybe validating. And validating. And then at the end of the date, you leave kind of feeling icky. And... And I think that's a, a prime example of what Kathy just said. Um, I want to tell you a, a story about this that really is poignant and, and something I'll never forget. When I lived in Texas, I served with an elders quorum president. And I was fairly new in the ward when I was called to that position. And... He, uh, he was talking to me sort of after a presidency meeting had wound up, we were talking and he told me that the woman who was second counselor in the primary presidency at that time was his former wife. And he said that uh, he found out at some point that she had been having an affair with another person who was then in our ward at the time was not a member of the church. And at that time, he was serving as the Sunday school, or sorry, the sacrament meeting chorister, the music director. So he chose the songs and led the songs uh, for sacrament meeting. And he said every Sunday, he had to watch his former wife walk into the chapel with the man she betrayed him with and you know, holding hands and sitting together as a couple. And this horrible bitterness was raging in his heart every time that happened. And he went to the branch president and told him, I don't know if I can continue in this calling because it's so hard for me to sit up on the stand and watch the woman I love walk in with someone else that she cheated on me with. And the branch president talked to him for a while about that. And at, at the end of this meeting, the branch president said, now your former wife is going through a repentance process and working on getting rebaptized. And the other man will fictitiously call him Nathan. Nathan is working toward baptism and he's confessed his sins and and is working on forsaking them um, and is working toward being baptized he said if you can't forgive them for what they've done you're going to be the only one taking any sin out of this life from this episode and that sounds so harsh in some ways because you think, well, he was the person in the whole situation that was wronged. And yet 
I think what the branch president was really telling him is the anger and the rage that he felt, even if it was justifiable in a way, was corrosive to his spirit. And that, you know, that same spirit of anger is the spirit that we would uh, be taking with us if we can't forgive and let go of it. You know, I just, I want to chime in here and mention that in my experience, when you are repent, when, when I've been, I'll just talk about it in first person as myself, when I've been repentant and really sorry about something I've done that's hurt someone else, it's a lot easier to receive uh, forgiveness and to really kind of receive a cleansing in effect that almost like as if it's never happened um, because we, we are promised and I've experienced this, that any sin that we repent of, it's like, it's gone. Right. And yet on the other side, if I've been hurt, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my problem. And yet it's totally my problem. Right. It, it hurts and it's harder to be humble enough to receive that cleansing effect. Yeah. And I, I mean, that just brings to mind uh, um, that I ought to finish that story about the elders quorum president in Texas, because he was telling me in the same meeting that he had developed a certain love for the man that his wife cheated on him with. And he was his elders quorum president at that time. He was called to minister to the man that broke up his marriage. And I can only tell you, I mean, none of you know him, but I can tell you it was very sincere. I mean, when this man was sick, my elders quorum president took him soup and did it very lovingly. I mean, it was not just in your face. I'll show you, you know, it was really humble and and uh, honest. See, that's quite a transition from what you describe he was feeling on the stand all right. these many weeks. What, how did he let go enough to do that? I think for him, really, it was realizing how much Christ had suffered for him to be forgiven, that he didn't need to suffer to forgive somebody else. And he really learned to let go of of what had happened. And when he remarried, he encouraged his new wife to become friends with his former wife because they had kids in common and those kids were going to be part of all of their lives. And, uh, you know, it, it allowed him to move on and find a beautiful life beyond the divorce. And it came down to being able to forgive his former wife. There's another story and it's personal to me. I remember being in a counseling session with a, a therapist that I saw and I told her, you know, sometimes I think I've forgiven my former wife. And then every now and then I feel myself picking that rock back up. That thing I couldn't let go of. I said, you know, she'll, I, I had this feeling that, you know, she was, 
really good at manipulating other people. And I realize this is my story. You don't read anything about her into this. But that was my, she was good at getting other people to feel sorry for her and want to take care of her and use that to her advantage. Um, and I felt like at this time she was trying to manipulate uh, what happened with one of our children. And I could feel that rage rising back up in me. And I thought, and I remember later feeling like, well, I thought I had forgiven her. I thought I was over this. And what the therapist said is it's good that you can tell when it's happening. You can feel yourself picking up that rock because if you can, if you can understand it, you can deliberately and intentionally and gently with compassion for yourself, put it back down. And of course, that's always stayed with me. And Kathy could tell you, my former wife and I have a pretty good relationship now. You know, we don't, we don't have the relationship we once had, but we're cordial and mostly kind toward each other. And I, I genuinely want good things for her. I mean, you know, that whole thing that people tell you, oh, someday she'll be sorry. I don't have any desire for her to someday be sorry. And I think that when people can genuinely feel that about another, they've forgiven, they've let go. And even if they pick it back up again, uh, because something arises, a trauma is triggered, um, we can put it back down again and continue wishing that person well. Right. And it is an act of intent, an act of will. Like Father Lehi talked about how we we're ordained to act and not to be acted upon. And if we feel that rage, we're being acted upon. When we let it go, that's an act of will. That is acting and realizing we have choices about how we feel. And that was a huge moment for me, that moment with that counselor. I think that's a good place to give an admonition, another admonition of Paul in Philippians 3.13, where he said, this one thing I do, um, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And if we want to be called to our own forgiveness, to our own exaltation. It hinges in no small measure on being able to let go of pain, of hurt, of betrayal, and of the weaknesses and infirmities of our fellow beings, particularly those we have loved the most. Remember, any time is the right time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening to Love in Later Years, and we'll talk to you next time. Subscribe to LilyPod to get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, share with those you love. For more information about our organization and services, visit loveinlateryears.com.